Good morning. Often on these mornings, we um, interview somebody about the topic that we're thinking about. And when I knew I was going to be speaking um, on this topic, I knew that I wanted to interview a friend of mine. The only problem is uh, she lives in Queensland. So I had a chat with Steve about how can we interview her when she's up there. So he gave me um, some instructions once she'd agreed to do it. Um, We were going to video her. And then the instruction was that she had to... um, take what she'd videoed and upload it and drop it into this box, a Dropbox, send him the link, and he would be able to sort it out. But she didn't have a Dropbox, so then I had to say to her, okay, don't do that, but he's got a Dropbox, so he'll send you the link. You upload it into his box. He'll take it out of his box and be able to sort it out. And I'm thinking, is a box a cloud? Where's a cloud fit into all of this? It's pretty confusing, but fortunately, Nikki, who we're going to hear from in a minute, and Steve knew exactly what they were talking about, so all is well. I find um, technology pretty confusing, and prayer can be pretty confusing too as well. As we've said already, we're thinking about prayer, and we've thought about downloading, logging on, and today we're thinking about uploading, venting. The clip that we saw before was a perfect example of somebody venting to God, venting when it's our deep emotions being expressed to God. Is it okay to vent? Is it okay to pray in a way that maybe the emotions that I'm expressing are negative? Venting, we can read, is giving a free expression to deep emotion expressing what's on our hearts and our minds. Generally, it comes from pain that we might feel or anger, as in the case with this guy, but it can come from sorrow and grief and disappointment and frustrations too. I was planning to be standing here now saying to you, we all know that venting is a really good thing. We all know that it's very important that we express our emotions and get them out and not just squash them down inside of us. But I thought I should go and actually check out that that's a true thing to say. So I went and I was reading some, what some psychologists have written. And actually, it's in debate over whether venting is actually a good thing. One psychologist actually says that although venting may feel intoxicating, it's actually toxic because it reinforces negative responses. So I'm going to completely oversimplify the argument because I probably only half understand it. But this is, I think, what they say about venting, that there is toxic venting, but there is healthy venting too. So if venting is toxic, it's when we're closed. So we're closed. The listener is irrelevant to us. It doesn't matter who they are, how many they are. It's just that we're trying to vent. We won't take responsibility. We expect people's sympathy or agreement when we go on and on and getting angrier. And it's also when it's to the world or anyone that will listen. Um, There's actually quite a lot being said that venting on the internet, venting on technology is not a particularly healthy thing to do. Healthy venting is when we are open. We're open to the listener, like the guy venting before. We're open to a change of perspective. We're open to be cared for, but also to be challenged as well. We're open to a solution or a new idea. And when it's to one or two trusted others, people that we know will cope um, with it, and we can trust them so that we can speak to them honestly. Well, I asked um, Nikki to share with us a time um, when she had to vent. So let's see what Nikki has to say. Oh, next one. Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Toomey. Um, I'm in New Seville. That's why I'm not there with you. Um, our family moved to New Seville 
two and a half years ago. Speaking of my family, I have a photo to show you. Here they are. That is my husband, Cam, our 19-year-old son, Michael, and our twin daughters, Abby and Lucy, who are 12. As you can see from that photo, we are a family of excessive wheelchair use. That's usually how I describe us. And I guess, you know, that is probably one of the main reasons we ended up in church. Cam broke his neck when he was 26 um, and is a quadriplegic. And Abby developed bacterial meningitis when she was three months old, which has left her with quadriplegic cerebral palsy, blindness, um, being unable to speak. Uh, and the list goes on, but let's just leave the list there. So I guess uh, it had been a f tough few years, and I guess I really just felt like I needed to get to a church. I wasn't a Christian. I believed in God. I believed I would go to heaven because I believed in God. And that's where it began and ended for me. Cam knew a guy he used to play cricket with who went to church. You might know him. His name is Phil Box. And uh, he called Phil up and Phil, got, Phil said, yeah, I know a church. Why don't you come to this church? So that's how he ended up at NCR. And one of my first visits to NCR, they'd talked about getting unplugged, um, turning off all your noise and everything around you and just being with God and, and sitting with God and speaking with God. And I guess until then, I didn't actually realise you could do that. Um, so that day, I was in a pretty dark place and um, I turned my radio off in my car and as I drove home, I sat with God. I vented to God. I came from a place of anger and frustration and and confusion and heartbreak and overwhelming sadness and I was angry with him. And I guess just to sum it all up, I basically just said I don't understand why all of this has happened. I am not the right girl for this job. I am not strong enough. I am not capable. I do not know how I'm going to do this. And if I am going to do this, you had better show me how. I was sitting at a traffic light out the front of Eastland and a lady in a pink t-shirt was walking up the hill towards me. Pink is my favourite colour. Anything pink will draw my eye. So I immediately looked at her and on the front of her t-shirt in big bold black letters were the words, we're in this together. So I guess at that point I decided that maybe I needed to get to know God a little bit better and that's where my journey began. We're going to hear a little bit more from Nikki later on as well. If we look in the Bible to see, did people vent? Um, there is a resounding yes to that. The Psalms are just one um, book of songs where people are venting. There's lots of other places in the Bible too. And we're going to look at Psalm 73 this morning. Um, yeah. Uh, you're welcome to follow on on your appy thing. If you have one of those, you can tell I'm really technologically great. <laughs> um, so, um, we think this is written by a guy called Asaph, but this is what he says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats, they have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. 
In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words struck throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Asaph is grieved. He's in pain. He's disappointed. He's grown up with the understanding that if you are good and you choose to follow God, then your life will be blessed. Your life will be good. And if you are wicked and are proud and ignore God, then you will suffer in life. But as he looks at the world about him, that is not what he sees. That's not what he's experiencing himself. And so he vents. What we read in this passage just here is actually him just recording what he vented. And we can feel his passion in this passage that we read. So we can only begin to imagine the depth of the passion in the moments or maybe the days or maybe the weeks that he was actually venting for. Later on in the psalm, he looks back at his time of venting and he describes himself as a brute beast, a senseless animal, a wild thing in his venting. And he actually says that he nearly lost his faith while he was venting. So if that's the case, is venting something that is helpful to do? Is it okay? We're going to just go sideways. We're going to put Asaph and Psalm 73 to the side for the moment. We're going to come back to them in a little bit. A little while ago, I was introduced um, to a blog by a guy called Richard Beck. He's a psychologist, and he's a follower of Jesus. And he likes to think about and explore people's religious experience, particularly Christian experience. If you were on the Women's Weekend to get um, away, I'm going to apologize to you now, or you've had this chat with me, because I've shown you this before, but I just think, how could I do this talk without this model that he has? Because he has a really helpful model to help us understand these things, uh, to understand about faith. Now, this is the first one that he says actually often exists within churches. So he says that at one end of the spectrum, you have people, let's go for this end, faith, low complaint. If you're at this end of the spectrum, you don't question very much. It's quite easy for you to get to a place of trust in God in life, high faith. Or you might be at the other end, unfaith, high complaint. At that end, you have lots of questions. You might have doubts. You don't just accept things um, very quickly. The problem is when it's like this. And this is just for people who have chosen to follow Jesus. If we sit at this end, we can judge the people at the other end. We can look at them and we can think, why can't they just accept it? Why do they have to ask all those questions, especially at really awkward times? Why don't they just know that ultimately it's going to be okay? But equally, you can sit at that end and you can look to people at this end and judge them and think, why are they so naive? Don't they open their eyes and see that we live in a broken world? Answers are not that easy. Why do they accept pat answers? If there's not judging happening, sometimes you can be at this end and think, why don't I think deeply like them? We can wish to be more like that. We might wish to be more like this. Why can't I just accept things easily? 
But Richard Beck says that this is a really not a very good model of faith to have. Maybe you see yourself somewhere there. I know for years I think this is the way that I understood faith to be. So he adds a different dimension to it called the communion line. And communion being in this engagement with God, talking to God. Um, yeah. So obviously low communion, you talk very little with God. High communion, you talk lots with God. And then he explains these four quarters. Again, this is only for people who have chosen to follow Jesus. It's only about them. So he's borrowed these summer and winter terms from another um, academic, so don't worry about those. But a summer Christian, he would describe, therefore, as somebody who quite easily comes to a place of acceptance and trust of God. They may get hard situations happening um, in life, but they can come to that place. It's okay, I know everything's in God's hands. The winter Christians, um, but sorry, but summer Christians are in high communion with God. They're talking it through with God, whether formally, informally, whether listening, whether asking, they're talking with God. The winter Christians still have the questions, the doubts, still have the pains, still um, have those questions, but are coming to God with them, saying, God, I, I'm bringing my wrestle, my vent to you like Sonny, I think his name was in, in that clip before. Um, so they are still in communion with God. The critical believer or the spiritual critic, um, he calls it elsewhere, are people who have those questions, but they're not talking about them with God. They might be talking about them with other people, but not necessarily with God. And then the disengaged believer, I think the perfect word is apathy, apathetic for down there. Little communion with God, but probably contentment to some extent as well. We naturally sit on one side of this model or the other one, but there are times in life when we find ourselves hurled or sort of coming across onto the other side. If you would call yourself a summer Christian, there are probably times that you feel like you are hurled onto the other side. We live in a broken world and situations come where we experience deep pain and the answers don't come fast to us. We don't find peace quickly. We question, we wrestle much more. There may be times, though, for winter Christians where they have a season where it's just a little bit easier. The questions aren't haunting them quite as much as they were. Um, So that's that model. And with that, it's the knowing that God longs for us to come closer to him. He longs for us to engage with him, to move up this high communion line. If we read the Bible, we see that God is a God of passion, that he burns with a yearning, a yearning for us to come up from low communion into high communion with him. So back to Psalm 73 and Asaph. Where does he fit on this? From what we've read so far, where does he fit? We might think, well, he sounds a bit like a critical believer. He's got all that complaint about the wicked um, scoffing and strutting words and things like that. But actually, he's a really beautiful example of a winter Christian, a man of great faith with questions and complaints, but who is prepared to bring his deep emotion to God as well, a man of great faith. And we get clues of it in the bit we read as well. But as we go on, we see that even more. So this is what he goes on to say. These are the following verses. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper and what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, 
and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Asaph recognizes that if he had gone to the people who were under his spiritual direction and he had spoken his vent out to them, that it would have been toxic. He says that he would have been a traitor to God. Asaph chooses, it said in the third line of that next bit, that he goes into the sanctuary. That in those days was the place where God resided. So he went there and he was able to um, let his strong emotion come out. He vented to God in that place. And in that place, we read that um, Asaph is reminded of or discovers some new things. He gets the answers to his questions, the destiny of the wicked, the destiny of the good. He's reminded, as Haley spoke about last week, that God is God. And in seeing who God is, he was reminded of who he is. And he sees himself as that senseless animal, that brute beast. He's reminded that God is the giver of life and of breath and of strength. He's reminded that God is present with him, holding him by his right hand. Whether the circumstances around him or within him change or not, that God is with him. And he remembers that he has a deep longing to come to God and chooses to engage with God and come to God. And that is how he is able to end this psalm with words of praise to God. He says, I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do back to Nikki. She has had many times of expressing deep emotion to God since she's chosen to be a follower of Jesus. So let's um, see as she shares one of those with us. So my journey began with a good old-fashioned vent to God, and I guess over the years I've become pretty good at it. Um, I don't, do not hesitate to uh, take my woes and worries to God. And I guess in the beginning, I would have described it as venting. It came from a place of anger and confusion and, and frustration. And, and um, you know, I didn't speak quietly with God. I was demanding of him. Uh, I, I needed to know why. Why, if he was so good, did bad things happen to good people? Um, and I guess to a certain extent, you know, I, I do still wonder about that. But... Now, I would describe my coming to God more as an outpouring of my heart, like a father and a daughter. I'm like the daughter who is devastated um, because of what's happened in her life, and he is like the father who wraps me up in his loving arms. 
And, you know, it happens often. I became a Christian and nothing, nothing changed in my reality. My, um, you know, we still are excessive wheelchair users in our family. Abby still can't see and she still can't talk. And, um, you know, and, and life goes on. But I guess that life goes on now with a hope. And that's the great thing about it. So in that, I still have days of uh, frustration and and heartache and heartbreak. And um, just had one just the other day. Must have been for this exact reason. Uh, but, you know, little things build up. We have lots of carers coming into our home. So that means things just don't get done exactly as I would like them to be done. And... Um, you know, it, it can get hard. And after so many little things building up, it takes one little thing to break the camel's back. And so last, uh, last week it happened. I walked in to have my shower and my bath towel had been used as a bath mat and it was soaking wet on the floor of the bathroom. And I could just feel it rising up and about to overtake me the emotion and I cried out to God and I said please don't let this happen please give me your peace give me your grace give me your strength give me your patience just lay it all on me God please lay it all on me I don't have time for a I don't have time for a meltdown this morning I need to get on with it it's just a towel on the floor it's just a towel on the floor but he didn't come he didn't give me his patience I flipped out he didn't give me his grace. I ranted and raved. And um, he didn't give me his peace. I sobbed my heart out on my bed. But as I was sobbing, I was like, why didn't you come, God? Where were you? I, you know, I recognized what was happening and I came to you and I asked you and you didn't come. And so I just lay there and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then he did come. And he, I heard him say, I'm with you. I love you. I'm your rock and your safe shelter. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. My perfect love drives out all fear. I am the I am. And he was there. And my tears stopped. And my mind cleared. And peace just came over me. And off I went on my day. I think in the beginning too that sometimes I would um, not recognise that voice. If I had have heard it in the past and sometimes even now still, I would not have recognised it. I would have pushed him away because I would have wanted to stay in my misery. I, wanted, I would want to be having a pity party and I would want that pity party to last maybe into the next day and maybe even the day after that. So I know there's been times where I have not gone to God and when he's come to me, I have not acknowledged his presence because I do not want the change that I know he will bring because I want to stay in my misery. I do find now that I don't do that as often because I understand that misery is not what God wants for me. And now, as I'm getting to know God and love him more and more, I want what he wants. So I'm much quicker to run to him with my heartache and my problems and he gives me what I need when I need it and not always in my timing.
Yeah. Nikki, um, if she put herself on that Richard Beck model, is very much a summer Christian. We talked about it, and she agreed too. She fairly quickly, amazingly, considering she's got a pretty tough life up there, um, can bring herself to a place of trusting in God again. So what can we learn for ourselves? What can we take about our prayers this morning? I think many people who are here this morning, if they had to put themselves up here, might put themselves on the summer Christian side. That doesn't mean life is perfect. Life can be busy. Life can have stresses. We can get cross sometimes. But we quite quickly come to a place of trusting God. We're not haunted by those big questions. And that's great. Please know that I am not encouraging us in any way to look for things in our lives to vent over. The small annoyances of life don't need us to vent over them. They need us to get over them. And I speak to myself more than anybody else about that. A quick chat is good about it, but a lingering vent is not. But there are some times when um, summer Christians will be hurled over into the winter Christian side because, as I said, we live in a broken world. So I think it's really important if you're a summer Christian to think about these things and to think about venting and wrestling with God as well. But if you do find yourself this morning on the summer Christian side, my challenge to you would be, if I gave you a marker and told you to come up and put a little cross um, on this side to where you are, where would you would put yourself in the communion sort of aspect of it, where would you put yourself to be? Maybe you've been at the 36 hours of prayer and your cross would be quite high up in, in high communion. Maybe you'd put yourself further down on the apathetic side. If you would come up, and mark a cross on the apathetic side, then this morning I would like to give you a little kick. A kick from God, as God kicks me regularly. I am on this side of it, and I find myself far too often slipping down into the side of apathy and need a jolly good kick for myself. And so I pass that on lovingly from God to you. I think it is actually a far better place to be in the winter Christian quarter, venting and questioning God and engaging with God than fast asleep in the apathetic corner down here. So if this morning you think that that's the corner that you are in, what are you going to do about it? If you want to talk to somebody about it, please come and talk to me. I've had plenty of experience of getting back up there regularly, so please come and talk to me about it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, well, I'm not actually a follower of um, Jesus. Then you're not on this chart. You absolutely get no kicks from me at all. But you may be sitting here with deep grief, with deep pain in your life. If that's the, um, the case, can I encourage you to take a brave step like Nikki did all those years ago and to take those deep emotions and to speak them out to God? You may actually not be comfortable speaking them out loud, but maybe to write them down to God instead and give them to him. And do it with an openness so that it's not a toxic experience. Do it with an openness and just see, maybe God will speak to you. Maybe God will reveal himself to you in some way. For those of us who are here and would describe ourselves on the winter side of this, what can we learn? I think we learn that it's okay. It's okay to be there. 
that we actually join with many, many people down through the centuries in times of the Bible and after the Bible too, who have been on this high complaint side, who wrestle with those questions. But if we are on this side, it is a far better place to be up where it says winter Christian than down here. Because if we're holding on to our anger, if we're holding on to our griefs and our frustrations, it can be a very dark place to be. Speaking them just out to people can be toxic, not necessarily, can be toxic too. So let us be people, if we find ourselves on that side just for a moment because of a situation or because that's the side that we generally live on, let us be people who come to God, who bring our deep emotions to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't, um, we know that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't need to go to a physical place like a sanctuary, like Asaph had to. And when we think about uploading Often when we upload, this funny little blue bar comes up and goes across. And sometimes it goes so fast. So maybe when we upload, it's just a, quite a fast experience for us. And before we know it, the little blue bar, I wonder if it's actually going to come up. There we are. Before we know it, the little blue bar is over. But it may be for some of us that frustratingly slow um, uploading to God that takes many, many days, many, many um, weeks, maybe years even to upload and process those things that we want to process with God. I'm going to go back to that one, actually, there. But I think that if we do take our vent to God, maybe God will remind us that he is God. Maybe God will remind us of his presence and love for us, and we will just get to sit with him. Maybe God will remind us about who we are, like he did with Asaph, and we'll recognize that we are a brute beast before God. Or maybe we will see that we are a broken and hurt child of God and we can just sit and weep. Maybe he'll answer our questions. Maybe he won't. Maybe our circumstances will stay the same completely. Maybe he will be silent and we will have to continue to seek him and seek him and seek him. But I believe that God longs to offer us truth. He longs to offer us comfort and peace and rest too. I'd encourage you too to talk to a friend as well. Talk to somebody who you believe will be able to help you to point you back up to God. Go to God. Take those things to God who will listen really well to you. Offer some advice and point you back to God. And if you're in that place and if you think you might need professional help, do that. Find good professional help to um, help you work through those things too. My very last thought, so musicians, thank you, do come up. My very last thought, often when the question is asked, is it okay to vent to God? The answer that is given is often, yes, it's okay, God is big enough. It's an answer I've given many times myself. But I actually think through the reading and thinking that I've done that the answer is much more than that too. Because maybe the reason uh, God put so many places of venting in the Bible, maybe the reason that God put all those passages where people are arguing against him, complaining against him, venting at him in the Bible, is because he gets that we live in a broken world. He gets that there will be times in our life when it is incredibly difficult 
to get to that place of trust quickly. I think that he gets that sometimes more questions will will pop up into our mind than answers will. Because of Jesus, God knows exactly what it is like to be a human. So I think by including these vents in the Bible, he's giving us permission to vent. We read in the Bible that sometimes when we come to him angry, he too will be angry about that situation. If we come to him weeping, he too will weep over that situation. But I think we have this venting in the Bible because it shows us how to do it. It shows us how we can do it with an openness so that we can hear from God, so that we can meet him in our pains and our doubts. And he is big enough to cope. And he is kind enough to cope with us as we vent. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, cries out to God in his forsakenness and his pain. He cries out. Martin Luther described the moment of Jesus on the cross as God striving with God. So the band are going to play a song. And as you sit there, maybe just have your eyes closed and just be still and listen. Maybe you need to begin a process, prepare yourself for some venting later on, if that's what you need to do. Maybe you can sit there and pray for somebody else that you know who might be in a hard situation in life. But let us be people of prayer who listen, who ask, who, if the need arises, are people who will bring our deep emotion to God, knowing that God longs for us passionately to come to him.